Um, welcome to the Vine. If you're new online, welcome to you guys. It's great to have you with us. If you're new in this room uh, as well, we are so glad uh, you are here. Um, you, know, you know, the Holy Spirit moves in a lot of different ways. And one, one of the ways the, the scriptures speak about the Spirit of God is that it comes to bring conviction. And as I was preparing this message today, and as I was in this worship time, I know that I can't start my message this morning without um, confessing something to you. Um, in 2019, I did not like God very much. If you've been here at the Vine for a season, for a time, you may know the story of about me and my family in 2019. In March of 2019, my father passed away all of a sudden, very suddenly, within two weeks, through a very quick and painful battle with liver cancer. And that whole experience completely shook my world and turned me upside down. And, and I was wrestling with the reality that I was so angry at God for taking my father from me so quickly. And I, and I was feeling so much bitterness. I, I was sitting in that tension between not being able to reconcile the suffering that I was experiencing in my life and the idea of a good and loving God. I wonder if anyone else in this room has ever felt that way. Where, where because of stuff that's happening in our lives, we can't reconcile what we've always believed, what we've always thought, what we've always known about God. And I couldn't bring these two things together. And I, and I was a senior pastor of a church. And I realized that actually I was very much like the older son in the parable of the prodigal son. And in those weeks and months just after my father passed, I was, I was angry at God and I was saying, God, why is it? Why is it that I slave away for you? I built a church for you. I, this church has not been easy to create, to build, to pass it, to lead. I have sacrificed many hours I've sacrificed personal relationships for this thing. And you take my father from me. Couldn't you throw me some blessings, God? I think I deserve a little bit more from you, God. And I was finding myself not being able to reconcile this reality. And then I was coming to church on Sundays. And I felt like a fraud before you. Because I was, I was preaching messages, and, I, and I, was, I was leading services, and I didn't have inside of me a healthy relationship with God. And, and, and I know that by God's grace, He can bless that, but I know that it was wrong. And, and here was the greatest fear I was carrying. The greatest fear was not that I would suck or that the church would go backwards and disintegrate. My greatest fear was that no one would actually know that I could actually get away with it, that I could act spiritual without actually being spiritual. My greatest fear was that I would be able to get up in front of you on a Sunday and go through the motions of being a Christian when I knew in my heart that I was very far from where I had been with Jesus. 
And, and I knew that that was a dangerous place to be. And yet in that season of my life, I did that weekend after weekend after weekend, and it wasn't, wasn't right. And that wasn't the worst of it. Here was the worst of it. The worst of it was I convinced myself that the way to get my relationship back with God was by just trying to push into this doing thing, trying to push into just the, the activities of my faith, trying to kind of be a pastor, be that better person, preach the best message, go to that event, do all this stuff, give more money to the church. I tried to, in my activity, find a way to restore what was actually broken in my relationship. I, I looked to the activity of my Christianity to be my salvation and completely left God, my Savior, out of it. Are you with me? I, I, I thought that if I could just act like a Christian more, that if I could say the right things, raise my hands right, sing the right words, say the right prayers, that in somehow that might cover for the reality that I'm not willing and I'm not yet able to come before God and say, this is broken. And I'm upset with you. And I need to humble myself and come before you afresh. It wasn't right and I can't preach the message that I want to preach today without coming before you first and asking for you to forgive me. And I look back on those times and by God's grace, he moved the church forward and people were saved. And... But that's not the point. The point is I led you falsely and that's not right. And so I want to confess that to you. I want to ask that you would forgive me. I want to ask my elders, I've got some elders here in this service, if they would forgive me. I didn't tell anyone about it. I just did it. I put on the front of being a Christian and I didn't have the relationship with Jesus. So I hope that you would forgive me. What I want to say to us today, I think, is a significant word for our church, but also for this city right now. Because I want to, I want to speak into the reality that so often I think this is our greatest danger. That we overemphasize the doing for Jesus and we forget about the being with Jesus. And that when we do that, we put ourselves in a position to become powerless. <laughs> I, Here's the thing I'm sensing in my spirit. That in the time of Hong Kong's history, where God wants the church in this city to rise up in its authority and its power and to bring the hope of the gospel to a broken city that is in search of its identity, in that very season, the enemy is releasing the greatest strategy that he has to try to rip and steal the power and the authority out of the church. And, and I want to open up for you what I think that strategy is. And I want to call it out of me. And I want to call it out of you. And I don't pretend to think that my sin is your sin. But what I do know is this. That because of what I went through in 2019. And the process that God has taken me through in my life. I can stand before you today and say we have to watch out. 
We have to be careful that we as the Hong Kong church doesn't get so consumed in the activity for God that we completely release ourselves from any true lasting relationship with God. If we do that, we are powerless in the very time when God needs the church the most. I want to stand before you today and say, this will not happen on our watch. Hmm. But it did happen on Moses' watch. And we're continuing our series in a different spirit. And we're looking at Numbers 13 and 14. And in this passage of scripture, there's, there's so much in there throughout this whole story. There's so much that has been there. We, we've seen all this amazing stuff, but there's this passage right at the end. This passage that doesn't get read very often. In fact, on my Bible, it's over the next page. And when you know when it's on the next page, you very rarely get there. And we've seen all of Numbers 13 and 14, the giants and the grapes, all the great stuff that's happened. We've seen all of the stuff that's taken place and how Moses has had to come and call them to account for their sin. We've seen God forgive them. We've seen them get restored and yet see consequences of the sin. We've seen the wholeheartedness that Promise talked about last week. All of that is there. And then we think that's the end of the story and everything's good. And then this happens. It's like the epilogue to the story. The thing that isn't preached on very often. But the thing that I think the whole story is actually about. Let me read this to us. Numbers 14 verse 36. So the men Moses had sent to explore the land who returned and made the whole community grumble against him by spreading a bad report about it. These men responsible for spreading that bad report about the land were struck down and died of a plague before the Lord. Of the men who went up to explore the land, only Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, survived. When Moses reported this all to the Israelites, they mourned bitterly. Early the next morning, they went up towards the high hill country. We have sinned, they said. We will go up to the place that the Lord has promised. But Moses said, why are you disobeying the Lord's command? This will not succeed. Do not go up because the Lord is not with you. You will be defeated by your enemies. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites will face you there. And because you have turned away from the Lord, he will not be with you and you will fall by the sword. Nevertheless, in their presumption, they went up towards the high hill country, though neither Moses nor the Ark of the Lord's Covenant moved from the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites, who had lived in that hill country, came down and attacked them and beat them down all the way to Hormah. This is the end of the story. It's the end of the whole thing with the promised land and the spies and everything. And we get right to the end of it. And Israel has learned nothing. I mean, here's Israel. And they've seen all the things that have unfolded. They've heard through Moses, God calling out their sin. And now they've literally witnessed the 10 spies, the men who had gone into that promised land and come back with a bad report. They've literally watched them be killed with plagues in front of them. And, and no wonder this creates a bitterness in the camp, a mourning, a, a, a kind of sense of fear amongst them. And, and I want you to see what they do out of their fear in verse 40. Earlier the next morning, they went up to the high hill country. That's the promised land. We have sinned, they said. And, and because we have sinned, we will go to the place that the Lord promised. I, I want you to see what Israel's doing here. 
They've not learned anything. They've realized that they've sinned, that they've done wrong in the Lord's eyes. And they think, like I did in 2019, that the way to repair their relationship with God is to go into the promised land. Like, like that was the thing that got us into trouble to begin with, that we didn't think it was right for us to go into the promised land. We know that the promised land is God's will. And, and we've sinned, and without even thinking, without even checking their hearts, without even wondering where their relationship with God is, they just think if they do the activities of God, then that's going to somehow create a favor in them that God will bless them, and they'll be able to restore the very thing that is broken. I want you to see what they're doing here. They're actually trying to repair their broken hearts through doing God's will without relationship with God. (laughs) They think that their right actions will repair their wrong hearts. They think that their strength is what will do it when actually it will only ever happen through their humility. Come on, church. They think that if they could just get into that promised land, if they could just physically do the stuff that God wants, then everything's going to be okay. And they've completely lost the plot because they've thought that their sin, they thought that their sin was that they didn't act in the promised land. And so they think that the way to repair that sin is by acting in the promised land. And I want you to see how Moses responds to this kind of thinking. He goes, why are you still disobeying the Lord's command? Verse 41. This will not succeed. Don't go up because the Lord is not with you. You will be defeated by your enemies. There it is. This is not going to work. You're going to get defeated. This is the wrong way to go about it. Why? Right at the beginning of verse 42. Do not go up because the Lord is not with you. Your relationship with him is not being repaired. You are not on the same page. He's not with you. You are not with him. And you're thinking that your action is going to repair something that actually can only be repaired through your humility. Through you actually confessing what is truly wrong, that you've given up on your relationship with God, and instead you've become consumed by the doing of God. Is anybody here? Hmm. This is a great challenge. The Israelites' faulty thinking is this. They think it's that the activity will create the relationship when it's actually the relationship that creates the activity. Are you with me? They, they think that, that if they could just do, act, and sing, if they could just go to more services, raise their hands, and sing the right songs, if they just had found the right prayers to pray, surely God will forgive them and begin to love them again. And Moses is saying, no, no, your your thinking is wrong because God's not with you. And if he's not with you, no amount of activity is going to work. You've got to humble yourself and come back to him. You've got to be more than you're going to do. Here's the warning for us. And here's the thing that I got wrong in 2019. We have to be really careful that our activities for God doesn't outweigh our relationship with God. Are you with me? We've got to be really careful. Now, 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 listen to me. I'm not saying that activity is wrong in and of itself. 
I'm not saying that that activity never helps. We all know that we deepen and, and create and grow our relationship through really good spiritual disciplines. There are activities in God, of course. But we've got to make sure that the balance of the scales, that our activities for God doesn't outweigh our relationship with God. When that happens, here's what will take place in your life. You will end up doing God's will, but your way. Come on. You'll end up doing God's will, but your way. That's exactly what Israel do. Going into the promised land was God's will. Taking that land was God's will. Finding a place of milk and honey, a place of flourishing and growth was all on the heart of God. But Israel are still in their self-centered rebellion in front of God. Because they want to do the will of God their way. See, it's bad enough if you want to do your will your way. But it's just as dangerous for you to do God's will your way. It's got to be God's will, God's way. They got the timing completely wrong. They had the right idea, the wrong timing. They had the right action, the wrong motive. And they would have known that if they had been connected in relationship with God, if they had been building that heart, the wholeheartedness that Promise spoke about last week. If that was at work in them, then they wouldn't have made these mistakes, but it wasn't. When we find ourselves doing this, here's what takes place. We think we can get the blessings and the promises of God simply by just doing rather than being. I want you to understand this. That we are never going to get the blessings of God that way. That actually it's more like this. That every single time we try to do God's will our way, we cannot hope to reap the same blessings. You can't expect to move into the promised land in your timing, in your agenda, in your ways, even if the promised land is what God's got. And and so Moses stands back and he says, if you go in there without God being with you, you will be defeated. It will not work out for you. And so we stand in this moment right here in Hong Kong's history, and I think this is a great challenge for the church in our city. We've been saying in this series, haven't we, that that this is an important hour for us to be in. We've been saying in this series that Hong Kong is God's promised land, that it is a place that flows of milk and honey, that there are hundreds and thousands and millions of people that need to know Jesus in this place, that we're in a critical time of Hong Kong's history where it's asking about its identity. It wants to know more about who it is. It's struggling with the realities of giants and graves, and we've got the answer. And we've been saying in this series that we must get this different spirit in us, like Caleb and Joshua, to be able to stand up in this time and in this hour, and we believe Just like Moses says over the people, the land is still exceedingly good. Amen? The danger will be that we will try to accomplish in Hong Kong God's will our way. That we'll try to bring it about in our own strength. That we'll listen to a series like this and get so pumped up and think, yeah, I'm going to go and change the world for Jesus. And we leave Jesus behind. And we get ahead of him thinking that As long as I act and be and do like him, then everything's going to be okay. And God stands over here and he's like, I'm waiting. Waiting for you to be with me. Because that's what I want, but but we need to do it together. Here's what the enemy is going to do. 
The enemy is designed to do this. This is a strategy over you. He, he wants to cause you to put the doing over the being. The enemy wants to turn your Christianity into a sociology. He wants you to actually embrace Christian ideas, Christian morals, Christian ethics. He would love you to live like a Christian, devoid of your relationship with Jesus. He would want for you to actually think that you are a Christian and not actually engage in the reality of a relationship with God. If the enemy can push the church into activity after activity and away from relationship, the enemy will create a powerless church. Let me put it this way. The enemy wants to take Christ out of Christianity and create what I like to call secular believers. Those who claim the name of Jesus, but are without the authority that comes from a relationship with Jesus. That's what the Church of Hong Kong needs to be aware of. That we would claim to be people of Jesus, but we don't have the authority that comes from a relationship with Jesus. In 2019, I claimed to be your senior pastor, but I did not have the authority in me that comes from a relationship with Jesus. And I have to repent of that. And I wonder, that was me in 2019. I wonder what's going on for you in 2021. I wonder whether you've made it a habit of embracing Christian ideals and Christian ethics and all of these things. I wonder if you're trying to live in obedience to Scripture and you're trying to be that way without actually having an ongoing, deepening, intimate relationship with Jesus. Let me tell you, it is possible. And the enemy will cover our eyes from seeing that reality. And that's why I feel like this message is important. There is no authority in activity alone. Come on, church. There's no authority in activity alone. Where does the authority come from? Let's have a look at what Moses says. Verse 44. Is this helping anyone? Anyone awake still? You okay? Upper house? Hmm. Online? I see you checking Instagram right now. Put that down in the name of Jesus. Okay. Verse 44. Nevertheless, in their presumption, they went up towards the high hill country, though neither Moses nor the ark of the Lord's covenant moved from the camp. I want you to notice this. The author is saying, here's how it all went wrong. They went ahead to do the things of God, but they left God behind. That Moses and the Ark of the Covenant never moved from the camp. You you need to realize that this represents the authority of God amongst Israel. If you look at the Exodus narrative in the wilderness, that that Ark of the Covenant where the tablets were found, created as it was, the, uh, the tent of tabernacle, the tent of meeting, created as it was, was a physical sign to the people that the presence of God was with them. The pillar of fire, the cloud at night, it was a way for them to know God's presence is with them. And not just his presence, but in Moses and Aaron, they had the mouthpiece of God amongst them. That, that Moses and Aaron would hear from the heart of God and translate and bring that to Israel. So both in the presence represented by the ark and in the word represented by Moses and Aaron, you have the authority of God. Are you with me? So Israel's authority was not in their armies. It was not in their strength. 
It was not in their great strategy to take the promised land. It was only in the authority that comes through the presence of God. Will you be with us? If only you are with us, will we succeed in the promised land? We could do all that we want in our own strength to be in the promised land, even though it might be your will. But if you're not with us, we will be defeated. And so it is for us in our city right now. It's really important we understand this. Our authority as the church in Hong Kong will not come in the years ahead because we are the right ones. It will not come because we have better morals than everyone else. It won't come because we have a certain political persuasion. It will not come because we're great peacemakers and reconcilers. It's not even going to come because we have great church services, as important as all that is. It only comes through Christ and Christ alone. That's where our authority is. Those with a different spirit are people that don't do God's will their way. They are people that don't pretend to be Christians. Let me say this. There is no power in acting like a Christian. Come on, church. Some of you need to hear that today. There's no power in just living under Christian ethics and morals. A different spirit says, the most important thing to me is knowing Jesus. And yes, there are activities that are involved in that, and those are good. But my relationship with Jesus is paramount. I will not move forward unless it's God's will and God's way. And to understand his will and his way, the only way I come to understand that for me, for my marriage, for my workplace, for the gifts God's given me, for my church at the Vine, for my city in Hong Kong, the only way I know that is if I'm in relationship with him. And so I'm calling us in this message back to relationship with Jesus, particularly for those of us in this room that know that you've drifted. And some of us in this room, like me in 2019, are pretending. And that is stripping the church of its authority. That's a hard word. And I can say that because I've lived it. How did I heal? How can you heal? Two minutes. Are you ready? Don't, it doesn't happen in two minutes, but I'm going to share it in two minutes. <laughs> I went into my sabbatical in 2019. I actually had a sabbatical before I knew my father was sick and my father passed away. We already had a sabbatical for me. I'd been working here for 10 years. It was a gift, four months off. It's interesting, isn't it, that what I needed, I was, remember, I was trying to gain my relationship back with God by entering into the promised land in my way, right? Thinking that activity would replace relationship. God gives me a sabbatical. The very definition of sabbatical is no activity. <laughs> God knows what I needed. I was going to go into sabbatical and go to churches every Sunday that I did not know, sit in pews that I would never sit in again, completely anonymous from everybody in that room, and it was going to be glorious. Before I went on sabbatical, a mentor of mine took me aside. He says, Andrew, he says, do you know how the Bible ends? And I'm like, yes, I do. Let me prove to you. Revelations 21, 22. Oh, the new Jerusalem. God brings this new Jerusalem down from the sky. It's like heaven comes to earth. There's only one river, only one tree, no longer good and evil, just healing for all the nations. It's wonderful. And everybody, even the trees clap their hands. My friend was like, hmm, okay. Um, no, he wasn't like that. 
He's like, yeah, 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 I know all that stuff, but do you know how actually the Bible ends? Do you know what the last words are in Scripture? I thought about it for a second. I said, yeah, yeah, I do, actually. It's Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. And, and my friend grabbed the Bible, and he's like, isn't that awesome? I mean, I mean, the Bible itself is the story of the activities of God on earth. The Bible is God's heart for redemption. The Bible is all about what it is to get saved and see shalom take place in the world. And you get all the way through all of this incredible activity. You get to the end of Revelations 21 and 22, and you see God complete all of the works that he has to do in everything in creation. And then, after everything else has ceased, there's still one thing left. Relationship. Being overdoing. That even after all of that incredible activity, we get to the end of the Bible and the writer decides to say this to us. There is always more of Jesus. And our posture is invitation. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. My friend, my mentor, put my, his hand on my shoulder and he says, go into your sabbatical Cease your activity, Maranatha. Some of you in this room, that's a word in season for you. That the Holy Spirit, if this message is saying something to you today, if you, if you recognize that you are at times pretending to be a Christian in the hopes that your relationship will catch up, if you realize that it's been some time now since you've actually had that deeper intimacy with Jesus, can I say to you, maybe can I put a metaphorical hand on your shoulder today and simply say to you, Maranatha, our healing comes from a place of both repentance and invitation, to repent and invite. Susanna talked about this a few weeks ago. Repentance is actually life to us. It gives us and brings us into life. And some of us in this room, like I needed to in 2019, need to come before the Lord and repent. To, to say this was not right, that, that what's going on in my life right now is not right, and I'm willing, Lord, to say so. I don't want to be like the Israelites that jump ahead of your timing and your will and your way. I want your will and your way for my life and for this city, and I recognize that I'm not in the right place, so would you come? And if you say sorry, don't just say sorry, but invite God to be with you again. Welcome him. The Israelites had to wander for 40 years in the wilderness to get that process of repentance in their heart right before they could finally enter the promised land. I had four months where I would go on these hikes all the time and I didn't know what to say to God. I didn't even really feel like talking to him, but I could hear my mentor and I would go on these walks and I'd be like, Maranatha, 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 Maranatha. I didn't even say it in a positive way. I was like, Maranatha, Maranatha. But yet in some faithfulness of saying, actually, I'm right here at the need of welcoming Jesus into my life again. I found my healing. And you know what? I can stand here in 2021, proud to be leading this church. I can stand here in front of you, not with a perfect relationship with Jesus, but with a Caleb spirit in me because of what I went through in 2019. I can stand before you and say, I've got hope for this city and really believe it. I can stand before you and say, I'm not afraid of the giants and really mean it. I can stand before you and say, I'm going to say things in the pulpit and write things in the newspaper because I am courageous about the gospel. 
I can stand before you and say, I believe that this is the church's hour to rise up in the city. Why? Because I know what it's like to try to do God's way my way. And I've had to face the reality of that, confess my sin, get healed by him, and find myself in a place of relationship again. And for you as well. Moses says to God during the Exodus, if you don't go with us, how will anybody know that we're different? How is there any hope if your presence isn't with us? If you're not for us or with us, how will they know your love, your compassion, your kindness? It has to be your presence and your spirit. We refuse to go forward without you. I wonder whether a cry would rise up on the church in Hong Kong in this hour and say, we will not go forward without you. Forgive us when we are not with you. We come. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Can I pray for us? Let's pray. Maybe take a moment. If you're comfortable, I just invite you to open your hands before the Lord. If you know this message has been speaking to you, everybody's eyes is closed. But you know in this moment, the Holy Spirit has been speaking directly to you. It almost feels like my experience has been your experience. Maybe slightly different in your context, but you know what I'm saying resonates with you. As you open your hands before the Lord, it's a symbol before him to say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. If you're in this room right now or you're watching online and you know that your heart is not right, you know that you've been consumed in doing over being, You know that for a while you've just been kind of acting a Christian, going through the motions, trying to live the right morals, but there's no active, vibrant, intimate relationship with God. I believe the Holy Spirit has a special touch of his presence for you this morning. On this Pentecost Sunday, he's here for you. Moses cries out, if only God is with us. And some of you in this room, you need to say that again. You haven't said it for a while. You've gotten ahead of God. You've gotten ahead of his timing. You're consumed with activity, even good activity. But it's actually shielding you from slowing down enough to rebirth your relationship with Jesus. And that's what today is about. And so those in this room that need that, I want to just invite you just to bring that before the Holy Spirit as he leads in your heart. We're going to create some space now just for that to take place. We've got a few minutes left in the service. You don't need to rush. Just take a moment. It's quite rare in Hong Kong to have a time where things slow down a little bit. Take this time. Take this moment to let the Holy Spirit search your heart, to encourage you, love you, bring his compassion to you, And as he shows you stuff to bring before him, do that in faith. And just say Maranatha to him in your heart. I believe that the Lord is uncovering a strategy of the enemy over our lives, over our church today. The only way we break off that strategy is we turn to Jesus. Individually and corporately together. 
So I invite you to take the time to do that now.